Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. How is it possible that scholars can use Torah to draw ugly conclusions about other peoples who are not like them? Hi, this is Rabbi Scott Perlow, and we're doing a daily daf differently. Today we continue in Masechet Shabbat, page 145. Till now, we've been covering issues of detailed Shabbat law. But as is the Talmuds want, sometimes we take a break and jump intuitively from one subject to another, which happens all over page 145. Today I want to concentrate on a story that comes about Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, and Ravasi in the land of Israel in the first generation of the Talmud. The Talmud tells us that Rabbi Chia Bar Abba and Rabbi Asi were sitting before Rabbi Yochanan, which is to say that they were in the Beit Midrash learning. Rabbi Yochanan was sitting and dozing. To be honest, I've never seen a piece of Talmud that talks about one of its sages falling asleep in the middle of the Beit Midrash, but it comes as kind of a spice to the story. In any case, while he was sleeping, the two of them had a conversation. Rabbi Chia Bar Abba said to Rav Asi, For what reason are the chickens in Babylon fatter than those in Eretz Israel? Rav Asi says back to him, This is not the case at all. Go to the desert of Gaza in Eretz Israel, and I will show you chickens that are fatter than them. Now this doesn't exactly sound like a lofty topic for the Talmud to be involved in. But what I think we can infer from this is a strengthening of a principle that we already know about the Talmud, that everything is open for discussion, and that the scholars, the teachers of the Talmud, always looked at the world through binocular vision, one eye on the reality around them and one eye on the reality of Torah. And they were rarely satisfied unless both of them came into clear focus. In any case, Ravasi says back to him, go to the desert of Gaza and I'll show you chickens that are fatter than them. Rabbi Chiyabar Abba asks a second question, and this one is getting a little bit more spicy, shall we say. For what reasons are the festivals in Babylon more joyous than the festivals in Eretz Israel? From this statement of Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, we can see two things. The first of which is that the rabbis in the land of Israel at the beginning of the Talmud, that is to say sometime around the year 200 of the Common Era, knew about what was going on in Babylon. They knew the culture to some extent, and they certainly knew the teachings of rabbis from there. And that is to say that the scholars, the academies, the yeshivot of Babylon were already well established and producing significant Torah and significant culture. In many ways, the best parallel that we have is the difference between the United States or North America now and the land of Israel. The two strong poles around which Judaism revolves in our time, that's what it was like for them back then too. Rabiasi responds to him and says, because in Bavel, in Babylon, they are poor, which is to say that only on the festivals did they have a lot to eat, and therefore they were a lot happier about it than the people in the land of Israel. Rabbi Chia asks another question, getting even more harif, more difficult. 
For what reason are the Torah scholars in Babylon distinguished by their special rabbinic dress? Apparently rabbis in Babel had some sort of uniform. Riyasi says back to him, because they are not well-versed in Torah. So here we get a hint of the tension that lived between Babylon and the land of Israel in terms of the strength of their respective Torah. And you can see, at least here, the bias that the rabbis in Israel had towards their colleagues in Babel and Babylon. And what I can also promise you is that there are members in the Talmud statements which indicate just the reverse. That the rabbis in Babylon and Babel thought them to be much, themselves to be much more knowledgeable and scholarly than their counterparts in Israel. Anyways, to get back to the Agadita, to the story, Asi says something that would be really funny if it wasn't so mean, which is that they know so little Torah that no one would know that they were rabbis unless they wore some kind of identifying piece of clothing to let people know what their job was. Now Rabbi Chiyabar Abba asks a question which is going to stick with us for a while and is going to be very, very difficult to hear. He asks, for what reason are Goyim, are Gentiles, ethically contaminated? The word that Rabbi Chia uses is mezuham, which is very strong. It means filthy or polluted in Hebrew. And so the question that we get is not uh, a beautiful one. In fact, really an ugly one. Why is it that Goyim are somehow or another morally filthier than we are? Rabbi rather than questioning the premise, comes back to him and says, it's because they eat abominable creatures and crawling things. Basically to say because they have no sense of kashrut, and they end up eating either insects or shellfish or other things that are prohibited by the Torah, which the Torah seems to think are disgusting. And the implication here is that the nastiness of what they eat produces nastiness in them. Now I have to ask you to hold on to this comment for a second because we're going to get the rest of the story which partially redeems what we've seen before. But it's also too important to remember the context in which these people lived. Rabbi Yochanan is of the first generation of Talmud scholars in the land of Israel, around 200 and beyond in the Common Era, which is to say that his relationship and his students' relationship with the people around them was not pleasant. They lived about a century away from the great destruction of the Temple, and the pain of the, and indignity of their lives had only continued past that point, including the continued rule by the Romans, the Bar Kochba revolt, and that, as a result of all these depredations and deprecations, the land of Israel had become a pretty horrible place to live. For those of us who live in North America and who enjoy an unprecedented connection, sense of peace and well-being with the people around us, these statements are horrible, perhaps not to be tolerated at all. But we only have to think halfway across the world, in Israel, where people live in constant tension, with their close neighbors, often erupting into violence, to see that sentiments like these are common, even if painful, and not to be condoned. Luckily, Rabbi Yochanan comes to the rescue in some sense. Rabbi Yochanan woke up and said to them, You children, did I not tell you this, that the verse from Proverbs, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kin, means that if the matter is as clear to you as the fact that your sister is forbidden to you, that is to say, forbidden to you for marriage, say it, that is to say, give your opinion. And if do not, do not say it. 
Steinsaltz adds, and these explanations that you offered are unfounded. We have to take a moment and appreciate the importance, the unbelievable importance of Rabbi Yochanan's Torah here. He's saying something that I need to hear constantly, and that I think the whole world needs to hear constantly, which is that a little knowledge combined with too much confidence is a dangerous thing. It allows people to make assumptions about the world around them that are not founded, that truly miss the point. And then unless a person reaches a stage of clarity with the piece of learning that is in front of him or her, she should be really careful about making definite statements. Indeed, sometimes it just takes someone with a little bit more knowledge to come along and show us how we've been wrong. And especially for those of us who are teachers of Torah, and that the words we say are cloaked in the words that God gave us at Sinai, we have to be extremely careful. So his students say to him, to Rabbi Yochanan, will the master tell us the answer to some of the questions we've asked? And he responds, why are the chickens in Babylon fatter than those in Eretz Yisrael? Because they were never exiled. Now, this sounds ridiculous if we're talking about chickens being exiled, but, but I'm pretty sure that this is really just another rebuke to his students saying, the people who are exiled, that is us, the people of Israel, carry a much greater pain, burden of pain and suffering than those who weren't. Having said that, the Talmud goes on for a bit to explain why the birds, even the birds in the land of Israel were exiled, um, along with the people, but we're going to skip that. Rabbi Yochanan continues to answer the questions of Rabbi Chiyabar Abba and Ravasi. For what reasons are the festivals in Babylonia more joyous than those in Eretz Yisrael? Rabbi Yochanan says because they were not included in the curse with which Eretz Yisrael was cursed. As it says in the book of Hosea, the prophet, I will cause all of her happiness to cease, her festival, her new moon, and her Shabbat, and all of her festivals. The land of Israel bears a history of pain, not just of pain of what, have ha what has happened to us, but also of the things that we have done wrong as a Jewish people. And being there with all of that context, the history and the memory colors the way that people live. Again, this has a longer explanation, but we'll continue to Torah scholars. For what reason are the scholars in Bavel distinguished by their special garb, by their clothes? Rabbi Yochanan says, because they are not native to that place. And Steitzelt comments, therefore they have to like require some kind of special clothing in order to distinguish themselves. As people say, um, in my own city, I'm honored for my name. In a place that is not my city, I am honored for my clothing. When people know you, really know you, they honor you for who you are. But in a foreign land, in a place, even a city, in which you are strange, they honor you, unfortunately, for what you look like. In fact, the Gemara goes on to praise the learning of the Chachamim of Babel, the sages of Babylon. By saying, in the days to come, you quote a verse from Isaiah, in the days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will bud and blossom. And Rav Yosef teaches, these are the Torah scholars in Bavel, who add buds and blossoms to the Torah. Finally, and for the hardest questions of all, Rabbi Yochanan explains to them, why are the Gentiles contaminated? And his answer is, is because they did not stand on Mount Sinai. Now we're going to talk about what this means, but... There is a very strange, something I've never seen, continuation in the Talmud here, almost a divergent statement. It seems to be talking about an idea of original sin, which I've never seen in Judaism. For it says, as when the snake came upon Eve, it infected her with moral contamination, and that this contamination remained in everyone. But when the Jewish people stood at Mount Sinai, this 
being mezuham, being somehow or another polluted, ceased. However, other nations did not stand at Mount Sinai, and their contamination never ceased. To this we get a question. Ravacha, the son of Rava, says to Ravashi, well, what about converts? They weren't physically at Sinai, so therefore they never had the opportunity for this cleansing. Ravashi says back to him, to them, or to him, even though they were not at Sinai, uh, their marachim, their angels, were. The Aramaic here is mazal yahu, from the word mazal, the constellations that the angels that dictated their destiny. And Ravashi quotes a beautiful pasuk from Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, from Parshat Nitzavim, that the covenant is made with he, the one who stands here today with us today before Hashem, our God, and also the covenant is made with the one that is not here with us today, implying anyone who would stand with us in the future. Now, of course, what we would have liked is for Rabbi Yochanan to come in like Superman and right this wrong and to talk about the fact that people who are non-Jewish have no moral contamination, that there is a universal purity to all human beings. But the Talmud is a document of human beings just as much as it is of God. And the statements within it are not morally pure and sterile. They come from the mouths of actual people. No one can't agree with what Rabbi Yochanan is saying. It's important to look about how he changes the conversation. For his students speak with a dismissiveness about the eating habits of the people around them as if they are completely deterministic, as if it were so simple that what a person puts in his or her mouth determines the state of his or her soul. And what Ryochanan does at the very least is open up a hole for a different kind of conversation, the question of how was a people defined? What was their shining moment? Or indeed, if it was equivalent to ours, a moment in which they received truth and goodness and moral teaching and spirituality and a connection with God, how can they be so different from us? This is Rabbi Scott Perlow. Tomorrow we'll do Masechet Shabbat, page 146. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros, from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.